Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would encourage, even excite us, Lord, with such wonderful truths that we have read. Lord, may we take these to heart. May you speak to us, each in the way we need. Lord, guide us now and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing our series on following Jesus. It's a a modern title for a pilgrim's progress through this world from when we place our faith in Christ to when we go to be with God. We are journeying through this world in which we don't feel comfortable. We don't feel part of. We're journeying towards a world where there will be no more sin or sorrow any longer. This is not our home. We are pilgrims, as if in a, in a foreign country, on our way home. In John Bunyan's story of the Christian life, Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, Christian, overcomes many difficulties. He faces many of the issues that we face in our Christian walk with the Lord. But as he continues as a pilgrim to a heavenly city and He's almost there. He he has to cross a river. He has to cross this river and then he will be very close to the the heavenly city. But there's no bridge. He's shown this river. He has to cross it, but there's no bridge. He has to wade through it. At this point, he's accompanied by another character called Hopeful. Hopeful. Many of the characters in the story have names which describe their character or a type of person that they are. A bit like the the children's story, the Mr. Men characters, um, whose names I can't remember. (laughs) But it's that kind of idea. There is obstinate. That's one of the characters. You can guess what his character was. So too, there's help. There's hypocrisy. There's charity. There's faithful, there's talkative, there's giant despair, there's mercy, there's Mr. Greatheart, watchful, Mr. Fearing, Mr. Feebleminded, and, and many others. He often meets or walks with one of these characters, and at the river that he has to cross, he's accompanied by Mr. Hopeful. Christian doesn't like the look of this river that he has to cross. And he asks if there's any other way to get across it. And he's told that there's only ever been two people who didn't have to cross this river. Two believers. One of them was Enoch and the other was Elijah. God took Enoch. Elijah was taken up in a chariot into heaven. But he's told that he can go easier through the river or more difficultly through the river depending upon his level of faith. The river will be deeper or more shallow, depending upon his faith in the king of the heavenly city. If his faith is weak, the river will feel deeper. But his faith is strong. If it's strong, the river will seem much more shallow. They both begin to cross this river, but as they start crossing, Christian begins to sink He cries out to his friend that he's sinking that the billows of the waves are going to roll over his head. And they do. 
but hopeful encouraged him to be cheerful. He said that he can feel the bottom of the, the ground underneath and he was able to stand on it and the, and the water was not going over his head. But Christian says, oh, the sorrows of death have come around me. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian so that he could not even see before him. He had forgotten all about the blessings that he had known and he saw his sins looming so large in his life that he was so discouraged. He seemed to have oppression in his spirit. Bunyan continues to write, Hopeful therefore, here had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yes, sometimes he would be quite gone down and then after a while he would rise up again half dead hopeful would also endeavour to comfort him saying brother I see the gate and men standing by to receive us but Christian would answer oh it's you it, it is you they wait for you've been hopeful ever since I knew you and so have you says he to Christian ah brother he says surely if I were right God would arise now to help me but for my sins he has brought me into this snare and he's left me. Then Hopeful said, My brother, you've quite forgotten the text where it is said of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. These troubles and distresses that you go through, which the ungodly don't seem to go through, these troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you, but these are sent to try you whether you will call to mind that which you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. Hopeful out of this word, be of good cheer. Jesus Christ makes you whole. And with that, Christian broke out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him, I see him again. And he tells me, where you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Isaiah 43 verse 2. Then they both took courage. And the enemy was after that as still as a stone until they were gone over the river. Christian therefore presently found ground to stand upon. And so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. Thus they got over In the midst of difficulties, we can feel as it were drowning if our faith is weak. But if our faith is encouraged and strong, we can feel the bottom and we can stand up strong and the, the river seems shallow. That's the point that Bunyan was trying to get across. If we lose our footing, if we doubt the Father's love for us, we can, we can slip and fall under. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will be able to stand. We will be able to withstand all that comes against us. Head and shoulders above all the waves that batter us. As we make our way as pilgrims through this world, we need encouragement. We need, through the trials that we face, we need to maintain our hope, to be encouraged in our hope. Just as Hopeful's 
trust and focus on Christ enabled him to find the ground at the bottom of that river to stand up tall over the waters so too we need to encourage ourselves in God's word and his promises to encourage one another to keep going Romans chapter 8 provides us with much encouragement with some great encouragements that 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 we can learn of we can be encouraged in so many ways from this wonderful chapter. After Paul has made his case how, how the gospel justifies that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all we need to do. Call in the name of the Lord. He then goes on to encourage us that our current difficulties do not mean that God doesn't love us. Difficulties do not mean that we are not right with God. That's the basic message of the the second half of Romans chapter 8. When we have hope, even in the midst of suffering, we can go through so, so much. But if we don't have hope, we really struggle. A chaplain in a Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II said... From first-hand experience, a man can experience an incredible amount of pain and suffering if he has hope. But when he loses his hope, that's when he dies. Let's be encouraged. Let's encourage each other in our hope of this gospel that we have. The first thing that we see in this message of hope for difficult times from Romans chapter 8, is that Christ suffered. So will we. Paul first of all states that as God's children, we should not be surprised if we face trials. They are not a sign that God doesn't love us. Trials and difficulties are things that Christ went through. And as his followers, we shouldn't be surprised. They shouldn't knock us for six if we find ourselves going through such times. He writes, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. For Jesus, the path to glory, he is seated at the right hand of the Father now in glory. But the path to glory was through suffering, through walking in our shoes, through going through the everyday difficulties and temptations that life presents to us. He went through the suffering of the cross, something which we cannot go through. He alone atoned for sin. But his path to glory was through struggling and suffering as well. Of course, there are many blessings in life. It's not purely suffering, but when suffering comes, we must not be surprised. We should not be taking it as a sign that God doesn't love us. Christ went through suffering, but was loved by the Father. 
The prosperity gospel will tell us at times that God wants what's best for us. He doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to get ill. He doesn't want you to be in need of anything. He wants you to have everything that is good for you. Well, in principle, we agree 100% that God wants what is good for us and he doesn't want us to be ill. He doesn't want us to suffer. He has provided a means for us not to suffer, not to get ill, not to be in need, but the fullness of receiving that is still to come. We will receive all of that when Christ comes again. But in the meantime, just as Christ had to go through a life of trials and sufferings and struggles before he returned to the Father, so we too have to go through this period before we receive all those things that the Father has for us. Let's be prepared for suffering. Let's face it when it comes. Let's not let it knock us to the floor. If we were in a boxing fight, if we were in a boxing ring, what kind of boxer would just stand there and expect nothing to happen? And the first punch, and he's down, or she's down. Down and out, first punch. That's how sometimes we feel when we respond to suffering as if this shouldn't happen. We should be able to protect and be able to go not just one round, but many rounds. Let's not be surprised. Suffering is not a sign that God doesn't love us. Secondly, we see that there is a glory to be revealed in us. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. The glory that he will reveal to us actually could be translated the glory that he will reveal in us. It's pretty much the same thing. But what God has done for us in salvation is not simply the tearing up of a piece of paper that says our sins are against us. It's not simply the forgiveness of sins. It is the the newness of life that we have with the Holy Spirit within us now. We struggle with sin. The old nature is still here with us. But we have the deposit, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit with us. But that's not all. We don't see the fullness of what is ours in Christ yet. We sometimes get glimpses when we're walking with the Lord and we're maybe full of the Spirit when we're having a really good day with the Lord. We get glimpses of that. But just as Jesus up on the mountain when he was transfigured and some of the disciples saw him and the glory that was his, which was hidden the rest of the time, they had a glimpse of that glory so too when the Lord comes again and our old body and our old nature is gone forever, we will be, in a sense, transfigured. We will have the full glory of what God has given us in Christ. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us and to us. So let's persevere through it. We know all about persevering. 
people persevere through a boring job Monday to Friday they persevere through it for the weekend people persevere through work for their holidays or the closer you get to retirement the more you persevere through to get to retirement where you can enjoy being with a family or doing your interests and hobbies more you persevere through one thing to get something better Paul encourages us that what we suffer now is nothing he actually doesn't say it is little he says it's nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later it's worth persevering even creation waits for the, the day when we will be given the full glory of our salvation. And we believers also grow, and even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We have something glorious to look forward to. Something bigger and better that we cannot actually, words fail us to describe how good, how gracious God is to us and what we have ahead. So let's not focus just on our difficulties. Let's not just look at our struggles. Let's look past them to what is far greater to come. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. We have a wonderful hope for what God will do. Let's, let's be patient and let's be confident. Let's persevere through our difficulties. But we're not left on our own. We have the Spirit to help us in our weakness. And the Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness, Paul writes. For example, what, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. When we pray, the Spirit helps us pray. When we trust in God's promises, the Spirit helps us trust. When we are obeying God's commands, when we're doing His will, the Spirit enables us and strengthens us to do His will. When we are patient through trials, the Spirit helps us with our patience. God hasn't left us on our own, either as individuals or as a church or as the church in the world. The Spirit encourages, comforts, guides and strengthens us. We are not on our own even. Sometimes the Lord is there with us. Daniel's three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing down to worship false gods. The image of the, the, the ruler but when they were in the furnace, they could see a fourth person in there with them. That was the Lord himself. By his spirit, he is with us. As much as he was with them in that furnace. 
by his spirit he is with us to encourage us and to strengthen us. So we're not on our own. To encourage us even more, Paul basically tells us that God is in control. That it's not down to us. Ultimately, our assurance is not down to our persevering with God, but his persevering with us. Sometimes we think there is so much suffering in the world that we might not be able to get our head around it. That how can we make sense of it? The doubts come into our heads as well. But we're reminded that God is in control. Paul tells us, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We could preach on that a week or two on its own but summary is as people have said nothing is wasted none of our sufferings none of our struggles are wasted they all work together for good God is making a a marvellous tapestry of human history and everything is working together even in ways which we could never imagine they're working together for good Joseph struggled in back in Genesis. His brothers left him for dead. He didn't understand. He had received the, the visions, the promises of God, but things weren't working out the way he thought they would. God doesn't always work in a straight line. But through Joseph's difficulties, even in prison, he ended up rising to be number two in Egypt and he ended up saving his people saving his family. When he was reconciled with them, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The evil that people do, God can use it for good. We saw that most ultimately in the cross, where people meant it to kill Jesus. The devil meant it to destroy him. But through the cross, through the death and suffering of Jesus on the cross, the atonement occurred. He took our sins upon himself. His death became our death. His resurrection became our resurrection to life. It was meant for evil by some, but God meant it for good. So God can take and does take all the things that we can't rationalize, can't understand, And he brings good from them. So let's not let doubt or not being able to see how these things fit together cause us to to doubt God. We don't have to see how they work together. God does. Even if we don't understand, we can still know that he is working these things together for good. God guarantees our salvation as well. It's not ultimately down to to us keeping ourselves. He perseveres with us. Sometimes we feel that we're not worthy, that we won't be able to persevere, we're not strong enough. Maybe 
we see other Christians and they look like godly examples of men and women who are following the Lord, but we're not the same. We sometimes doubt ourselves and think, yeah, well, they'll be able to make it, but I won't. The problem there is that we're looking to ourselves and not to God. He is the author and finisher of our salvation. We ought to look to him. Paul writes, to encourage us to persevere. Paul writes, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. He speaks of the the plan of salvation from one end of history and time to the other in such definitive terms that he even talks about glorification in the past tense. Them he also glorified. Them he also gave them his glory. Our glorification, our perseverance is so secure that Paul can speak of it in the last tense because God ensures it will happen. Paul was able to say in prison for the gospel that's why I'm suffering here in prison but I'm not ashamed of it for I know the the one in whom I trust and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. He had entrusted his life, his soul to God and he was sure that God will keep him to the end. Of course God's way of keeping us is to enable us to persevere. But ultimately our perseverance is not down to our own strength, but his strength working through us. Christ himself will keep us. Christ himself intercedes for us. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the, right, at the place of honour, God's right hand, pleading for us. We need forgiveness. Christ is pleading for us. We need strength. Christ is pleading to the Father to strengthen them. Whatever we need, Christ is there. He's not just sitting up there disconnected from us. He is there pleading for us every day so let's be encouraged despite our circumstances let's let's be hopeful the situations we go through are not signs that we're on the wrong side of God that he doesn't love us or that we're being punished they're there for our sanctification whether we're struggling with health issues or just the whole fallout of COVID whether we're struggling with bereavement doubt about what's the future going to hold or are we going to have enough are we going to have an income coming in in the months ahead how are we going to cope with the stresses that we're under 
whatever it is, we can persevere, we can keep going. Paul says, he asks the question, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory is ours already. But yet if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. But just as Christ was victorious and is victorious after having suffered, so too we we are described as we have already the victory. Overwhelming victory is ours. We just have to walk through it. Suffering is a precursor to glory. So much so that in Acts 5.41, after the disciples had been before the Sanhedrin, well, the apostles left high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. To suffer for Jesus' sake was a sign that they were Christ's and that the glory ahead was theirs. And so the suffering was a good sign if we're suffering for Christ's name. And James says in a more general way, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. These things do not overcome us. These things are signs. These things are trials that we can persevere through. These things are things that we must go through in order to receive the glory to come. So we don't rejoice in the difficulties, in the suffering, (coughs) or we don't rejoice. We don't bring suffering upon ourselves as an enjoyable thing in itself. But we persevere through the suffering because of the joy that is ahead of us, just as Christ endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul can't say it with any more superlatives. He can't say it any more stronger than that. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. One writer describes how a journalist, William Allen White, said, years ago after meeting President Theodore Roosevelt for the first time, he said, I'd never known such a man as he, and never shall again. He overcame me. And in the hour or two we spent that day at lunch, 
He poured into my heart such vision, such ideals, such hopes, such a new attitude towards life and patriotism and the meaning of things as I had never dreamed men had. After that, I was his man. If a mere mortal can have such an effect on another, how much more our Lord? If we will spend time with him in prayer and in scripture, we too will find our hearts filled with vision, with hopes, with a new attitude towards life and the meaning of things. And afterward, we too will say with thankfulness, I am his. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not our troubles today, not the sufferings or the trials that we go through. So let's be encouraged. Let's not let the waters go over our head. By faith, let's stand on solid ground and rise above these things. Let's remember the words of Isaiah. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, in so many ways, you have, you have done it all for us. You've gone to the cross for us, atoned for our sin, for us. You've given us a new spirit to us. You've given us the, the promise of glory ahead. And Lord, we just simply need to, to walk through this, this life to persevere through the the difficulties in order to receive such glory. Lord, we thank you that in comparison, these things are nothing compared to the glory which is ahead. Help us, Lord, to remember these things. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to encourage one another, Lord, that we may bear one another's burdens, that we may be able to encourage each other when we are down when our foot is slipping Lord we pray that you will be with us that we will know your presence and that we will know a real sense of what is ahead that we will have hope in our hearts that we will have faith and trust in you and all your promises in Jesus name Amen